welcome to another edition of the One Big Idea podcast. This is season one, episode five. I'm joined by Evan Dillon, co-founder of Arpeggi. Evan, how you doing? Pretty good, Austin. Super excited to be here talking about all things Web3 music, Web3 music creation, Arpeggi, and otherwise, and stoked to be a guest on season one. Oh, yeah. Stoked to, stoked to have you. You've worked with a bunch of different legends, which I'm sure we'll we'll dive into and a lot of former guests of the show, whether it be Rio or Daniel Allen. And so I'm really excited to, to tap in with you. Why don't you give the audience a little bit of like who you are, what you're about, your way into Web3 music? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'm Evan, founder of Arpeggi and Kids.io, which launched recently. Um, a little bit about my background, always been super into music, huge passion of mine, um, mostly on the listening side, um, a little bit of creation growing up, uh, went to school, kind of put music to the side a little bit, um, in favor of, you know, trying to find, uh, you know, some stability in career and otherwise, um, never really thought that I would be able to bridge the two. Um, but then I started getting pretty into, uh, music production, just kind of observing, I have two older brothers, um, both of which work at Arpeggi alongside me. Our middle brother is a career producer. Um, he's been making music for a very long time, um, super deep in the weeds with um, all things music production. And so kind of observing that my whole life and seeing a lot of the challenges that he's faced and um, all the opportunities for the ways things can improve there, um, really wanted to kind of bridge that with my passion and background in technology. Um, I was a software developer before founding Arpeggi with um, my two brothers. But yeah, over time, I think the the Web3 space started to kind of get a lot of traction in that summer of uh, 2021. Um, and there are a lot of opportunities within music that we felt were untapped. So happy to get into to all of that a little bit, too. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like you've been in music production your entire life with your brothers. What was it particularly blockchain that kind of lit a light bulb for you? Like, obviously, you've been at the intersection of music, music and tech, but what was it specifically about about blockchain? Yeah, I think there are a few things uh, about blockchain that are particularly relevant within um, music creation in particular. I think the number one thing that really excited me about it was the idea of provenance and, and attribution. Um, so, you know, blockchains are, are really good at a few different things. One of them being um, the ability to kind of store immutable information that is a, a source of truth. And when you think about that as applied to the music industry, um, there's a lot of issues within publishing, copyright, and otherwise around who created what, when, who has the rights to the music, um, and especially within the world of sampling in particular, which we'll get into, um, you know, who's using what pieces of music. And so that kind of, you know, sparked a, sparked a light inside myself and then uh, a big part, my, my oldest brother, Kyle, um, who's deep in this with me as well. Um, and so that was one thing. And then another part, kind of watching uh, our middle brother, our producer, um, kind of build his career in the, you started to see early on in the space, how powerful digital collectibles were for musicians kind of building a fan base, owning that direct connection with them. Um, and so between those two things, you know, I think there was just tremendous opportunity to build solutions using blockchain that um, tap into the world of, of rights, attribution, all the stuff that we've explored with Arpeggi Studio. And then on the other side of things, um, how musicians, artists, own that relationship with their fans, um, directly monetize via their, you know, a thousand truest fans instead of a, the streaming model that um, existed. Yeah, so I guess kind of give a state of play for the music industry today. Like what particular issues did you see? You kind of mentioned, you know, how blockchain could, could help solve some of these things, but really like particularly around collaboration, can you mm -hmm. more of like, well, like how a song typically comes together, like what, uh, how collaboration, like how does licensing take place? If you can kind of give an overview of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll talk first about kind of um, 
a lot of the the songs that you'll see come out in in the web3 space and what used to be kind of the the soundcloud meta um which is really like bedroom producers collaborating um sending files back and forth with one another so you know maybe i'm a producer um i'm really excited about a beat that i'm making i might post on my my instagram or some socials or i might throw it in a group chat of, of artists i know and say hey does anyone want to collaborate on this beat someone's going to get excited about it they'll ask for the project file or the wave file i'll send it over there'll be a lot of back and forth maybe i used someone else's sample in my in my beat as well um and this is all to say that it's a lot of kind of manual sending files back and forth um there's not a lot of tracking at the at the point of creation or at the the point of production of who's contributing what to a song and then all of a sudden, um, this finished song comes out. We're super excited to release it. Um, getting ready to, you know, distribute that onto streaming platforms or, you know, in, in this in this world on on sound or something. And um, the question of splits comes up. You know, who's contributed what to a song? And um, fortunately, I think in the Web three space and uh, Web three music, people are very very generous and want to give fair cuts. But um, we've heard so many anecdotes, especially when you get to kind of bigger and bigger artist names of you know when this song is about to be put out into the world who's getting what split on the royalties whether it's a, an artist who did the vocals for a song the producer maybe it's someone sample who i used um it's a big point of uh friction and, and, and a big pain point for producers and musicians of uh being able to track kind of the bones of a song and who should be getting what so that's a lot of what we explored um early on with arpeggi is being able to track the um very composition of a track all the way from the very sample to uh when it's put out into the world yeah and, and to double tap on that point for people you know when a song is created there are a multitude of stakeholders that all have different roles and there are all these files that are going back and forth and it's like which you know which file is ultimately the one that sharing and using like you know, all these different like versions of the song that are going on there's a lot that is very it's very easy to like mismanage of uh you determine like well how much credit everyone get and so there are like if you're if you're a crypto enthusiast like i'm sure your light bulbs are are going off left and right of like oh like i see where a disaster that is transparent solver um is the source of truth versus you know, all these different files that that came before it and, and really be able to verify uh and give credit to the people responsible for creating a song so with that as the backdrop what was like the initial problem that you were looking to solve with arpeggi and how has it evolved over time yeah it certainly evolved um i think initially when we first started building Arpeggio, it was October of 2021. There are very, very few projects in Web3 that were exploring applications within music. Um, and so my brother and I, you know, were, were deep in the rabbit hole at that point, um, knew we wanted to build something within music creation specifically. And so we said, why don't we build a tool that allows musicians to kind of permanently make a song that lives fully on chain? At that time, fully on chain um, probably means something a little bit different than it than it might today. Um, this was around the time where Artblocks was starting to get really hot. Um, Autoglyphs had been around for a while. These two projects um, really early within NFTs broadly um, stored all of the media that the NFT represented fully on chain. Uh, what that means is in the actual contract, you could pull out all the information you needed to recreate those art pieces. And so we said, wouldn't it be really cool if we could create the first fully on-chain music NFTs? Um, so that means that you know our site could go down, um, all the servers could crash, and you have all of the audio and compositional data in the Ethereum contract itself to create a piece of music. Um, so this was kind of just a fun sort of hackathon type exploration that my brother and I had to begin with. Um, and so we started building Arpeggi Genesis. And even before Arpeggi Genesis, my older brother, Kyle, I mean, him and I have always been super into music and tech, 
had been, um, he was working at Google at the time. On the side, he was coding a hip hop beat generator. Um, we're all from Atlanta. So uh, we love kind of trap music growing up and a lot of the instrumentals behind that. And so he had this, this program that generated trap music. And basically what that gave us the foundation for was the ability to store music in a really, really small file format. And that's how you get things to, to exist in a contract. And so we came up with Arpeggi Studio Genesis, which you can find at Arpeggi.io slash Genesis Studio. It's this really basic in-browser sequencer. Um, and it might seem basically like a toy. It is pretty much a toy to begin with. But the cool thing about it is that you can buy one of these studio passes. And when you mint a song using the studio, it's basically like a MIDI song, but all of that information lives completely on Ethereum. You can recreate the entire song from the contract. And so at that point in time, um, like I said, it's pretty much kind of a novelty taking um, or tapping into this trend around uh, fully on-chain art, fully on-chain music. And then shortly after we saw, you know, how excited people were about the idea of fully on-chain music creation that actually, you know, solves broader problems. You know, the, the idea of provenance, um, copyright, having that public ledger information about when a song was created, what the components of that song are, and applying that legitimate music production with uh, leading software tools. And so shortly after our Peggy Genesis launched, um, we started getting a lot deeper into the world of music production, the world of uh, copyright and sampling in particular, and um, started to apply the technology to problems around collaboration and sampling. Um, one of the main things that we were tackling with our Peggy V2, um, which is live on our site today, was the idea of tracking the usage of all samples from point of creation. Um, so Genesis was fully on chain music. V2 was really attribution as applied to sampling. Um, and so we saw a lot of cool experiments come out of that. Um, musicians, you know, permissionlessly using each other's stems, each other's songs, uh, each other's samples, and then that entire record being recorded within this one protocol, um, our attribution protocol on chain. And what that allows you to do is you can facilitate um, payouts with the splits. Um, you have that, you know, public ledger of all the users' information there that's going to be permanent. Um, so that was a really cool experiment. It's kind of led us to a lot of findings that have taken us to where we're at today, which is kits, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into as well. Yeah, I, I'm really curious. I'm sure for people that are like getting their toes wet in music NFTs overall, this may be like a foreign concept to them because when they hear music NFTs, it probably they're thinking of sound, they're thinking of catalog. They're not necessarily thinking of what I would define as like a B2B tool or like artist to artist tool. You right. music NFTs, like what, what does that look like in your mind? How would you define it? Yeah, um, music NFTs, it's been like, you know, over a year, right? Since like sounds launch, catalog's been around, arpeggio genesis. And so the term is kind of constantly evolving. I think, um, you know, the, the primary way in which people think of music NFTs as this asset that an artist issues, um, whether it's a collection, whether it's a one-of-one, -one, that their fans, their, their listeners purchase. And it's this piece of uh, digital memorabilia um, it's an asset that can appreciate and value and, you know, it's a way to invest in the artists and that vehicle for owning that artist to fan relationship as a music NFT is extremely powerful and a super important and, and new way for artists to monetize. Um, but I think we think of music NFTs in, in a little bit of a broader sense. Um, like you said, I think we're a little bit more on the, the artist to artist side of music NFTs and, you know, it's not something that that's really out there and people are, are familiar with. You're totally right. Um, and I think something cool about it is, you know, we were talking about something like music licensing or or uh, I guess backing up a little bit. Artists are already used to purchasing, purchasing digital assets from other artists. So put NFTs to the side. Um, you know, artists today are buying sample packs. They're buying sync licenses. They're buying 
all sorts of things online that help them create. They're buying plugin licenses that other artists, um, other programmers create as well. And so um, separate from music NFTs that are kind of artist to fan and a brand new concept, um, what we're really thinking about at Arpeggi is these artist to artist NFTs and bringing a lot of these digital things that people are, or artists are purchasing online onto the blockchain um, because it actually simplifies a lot of pain points that exist around these digital assets that uh, artists are purchasing. Um, so yeah, you can think of kind of this spectrum of music NFTs being artist to fan, you know, sound catalog, the patronage models, something in the middle that would be a little bit more, you know, artist to fan, but utility based would be like a Royal where um, you buy something and uh, royalties are paid out over time. And then, you know, kind of pure utility where we fall as artist to artists, uh, where you're really buying these these licenses, these music NFTs to use something, to use that use it for them. And we can explain that um, in more depth with, with kits as well. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I think a lot of the audience will be familiar with the first two. They've probably heard of, you know, they're familiar with the Patreon and the thesis around you know, whether it's speculating or just supporting an artist um, on Royal, being able to collect a percentage of royalties. Probably be the first time that a lot of people have heard of artists buying NFTs effectively from other artists. And what I think is important to ground this in is like creator tools as a whole outside of music are just on the rise. Like more, there are more and more creators there are more and more musicians, they need, and, and ultimately like a lot of the system that exists today, is fairly opaque. Uh, you know, it's, and we can talk about like scarcity when we get to get to kits, but like, how do you know that what you're using, you're one of the few people using it? How do you know that what you have is unique? Um, as you're thinking about creating a unique sound, like I think those things are, are really important. So yeah, it's, it's always struck me as like pretty, pretty, in a world in which like everyone is in nfts thinks of the like direct to consumer you're effectively building like an infrastructure layer like you're building for for a completely different different audience so i guess with that like how how did kits come about like where where did the genesis of that uh come from and and what are you looking to solve for yeah absolutely um so before kits you know, we were exploring all of these ideas around how can we have musicians share their music for other people to use using this technology? Um, how do we help musicians create the best music possible, collaborate, um, all these problems around music creation. And to explore all of that, um, we built Arpeggi B2, which is our kind of closed loop ecosystem for music creation. It's the, the in-browser DAW, um, where we put all the samples on chain, track that attribution. And, you know, our Pedgy V2 had been out in the wild for, for a few months at this point, and we we're constantly talking to artists. Um, and, you know, what we heard over and over again was artists want to have a vehicle to share their music for other artists, their fans um, to use. But today, there's really no good platform for that. You know, if you're a really high caliber producer, you can release your music or your sample packs on Splice. Um, maybe you have your own website where you're putting your stems. Um, but at the end of the day, that, that vehicle was, was pretty fragmented and um, wasn't very popular. And so what we found with V2 is that, you know, musicians have their modes of music creation, like Ableton, Pro Tools, um, et cetera. And we need to build a solution that helps musicians share their music with other people to use, but works within that vehicle and allows them to, to capture value at the same time. Um, and so we got pretty deep in the world of, of music licensing. So um, we started to think about how can we issue NFTs that will allow me to use this song creatively, make a derivative work and kind of align these incentives, right? Because on one side, there's artists who want to share their music, but they want to capture attribution um, in a lot of cases, you know, they should get splits for their derivative work. And then on the other side, there are artists who want to sample, want to remix, um, but that music is inaccessible. Like if I wanted to, you know, remix a Drake song today, it would be, um, you know, pretty insurmountable task. 
involving you know six different parties of lawyers, um, some really hefty licensing fees and splits. Um, and you know Drake might be the most extreme example here, but um, this demand exists for artists to want to share their music for reuse, and then on the flip side, fans, other artists wanting to reuse that music and. We're simply trying to provide that vehicle that can facilitate that. And I think there's a lot of complicated challenges that exist um, in trying to you know, solve problems in that space. You have the question of how do you decide splits? You know, If I use one drum kick from a song uh, by Daniel Allen versus the entire drum track, uh, is he entitled to a uh, 50% split on that song? Um, and we're kind of excited to take on all those challenges. And I think, you know, there's a lot of experimentation, a lot of um, new things that we need to try before we get to all of those answers. But, you know, fortunately, the Web3 music space is the perfect place for us to be um, testing those solutions. We've been really fortunate, you know, from from day one to have uh, a really um, excited, um, curious and just flexible um, community of artists who have been with Arpeggi from the very start, who are wanting to try these models. You know, I could go down kind of a list of all these artists and experiments that we've done already, um, but there's there's many more to come on kits with season one, and we're excited to kind of explore all these different solutions that we can around helping musicians share their music for other people to use. Um, with kits, we are releasing collections of tokenized licenses so you know a license is um the legal vehicle in which i might use something so if i wanted to feature the one big idea podcast um on my video you know use a little clip from it i would get a license from you to uh do that properly and so you know we're using nfts as a vehicle for for artists to really explore that yeah, literally using smart contracts <laughs> as as the way that they were defined. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we should spend a little bit more time to the state sample thing today. Uh, I think an example that people may be familiar with but may not know the full story is actually Chance the Rapper. So, when Chance Chance is like very famous obviously for dropping his mixtapes on SoundCloud, acid rap everything being being on soundcloud and the narrative that has always been told to the public was you know it was all about giving the music out for free and wanted it to reach as far and as wide as possible and and part of that might be true but the real story behind it is the fact that he couldn't samples cleared so like he wanted to release yep. it on streaming services and he got a call from his his manager got a call from the lawyer like what are you guys doing you can't release this you haven't gotten anything cleared and that is really like the state of a lot particularly i mean you guys like will hear all over the place in music today um it's really tough to like figure out you know track down who are all holders because it might not just be one person it's like everyone that was on the composition so remember at the beginning of the conversation we talked about how so many people go into creating the composition well they all have a split and you have to go and negotiate with like all of them if you want to use a sample. So I think yeah. with that, you know, baseline, that's why something is so like revolutionary as, as tokenized licensing. Um, you know, what what other options do people have today? It sounds like it's basically go out, reach to reach out to like every single person, like good luck finding them, first of all, like making sure that they register the composition. Right. You can like go in the Library of Congress and they have updated contact information which uh typically is not the case or you go like buy a sample pack and then it's like okay cool i have this same song that like everyone else is using it's not verifiable like that neither of those options seem seem ideal yeah absolutely i mean you, you described it pretty well with that anecdote there and there's you know so many other examples and you know not just chance the rapper some of my favorite albums from the early 2000s, um, The Avalanches and DJ Shadow, um, both two artists that, you know, almost exclusively use samples in their entire uh, catalog. Uh, same problem, uh, furthest extreme was like, since I left you by The Avalanches, they had to 
give away all of the royalties to the album. They just like released it and <laughs> every you know penny generated went to all of these different samplers that they paid out. But yeah, I mean, I think backing up to the very beginning of you know how sampling started, the, the SP1200 came out in the 90s and that really kicked off this huge boom of sampling within uh, hip hop and other genres. And at that time, there the rights around music were a lot less stringent than when you get into the 2000s and um, labels start, you know, getting really strict around reuse rights and all of that. And it was kind of a golden age for, you know, uh, music production broadly. There's tons of brand new sounds that that came out of that era when sampling was very permissionless. Um, and then enter into the 2000s, you have examples like uh you know dj shadow the avalanches where uh you know people are still sampling and wanting to operate in this mode of unbridled creativity but then they're not really rewarded for their works um you know fast forward a little later you have the chance the rapper example where artists are kind of forced to release their music on the fringes of of soundcloud and youtube um, which is great for getting it in the hands of listeners but really really uh tough if you want to monetize that and you don't have a big artist and so, you know, nowadays when it comes to to sampling, I think people operate under the assumption that if I'm going to sample a, you know, significant piece of work in my music, I'm not going to be able to monetize that that uh, derivative work. I'm not going to be able to release it on streaming platforms and otherwise. And that pretty much is the case today with takedowns and DMCA's and whatnot. And um, we think that that's just like a, a huge misalignment of incentives because there's all these songs that could be generating, you know, additional revenue for creators based on derivative works. And there's all these creators who want to sample songs, um, but don't have the, the vehicle, the means to do so. And so, yeah, when, when you asked the original question of like, how does it work today? Um, you pretty much described it as is, which is, you know, I might hear a song that I want to sample. Uh, I can look up like how to sample the song. I'm not going to find anything. And so I'll just go ahead make my song using that sample. And then when it comes to releasing it, I'm either going to release it and cross my fingers and hope that it doesn't get a DMCA or a takedown, which, you know, nine times out of 10, when that gets, you know, past a million streams or whatever, it's, it certainly will. Um, or I'm going to try and track down the rights holders to that song, the multiple different rights holders, you know, not only the, uh, the original artists, but the labels and all of that and try and get a clearance for that, for that sample, for that uh, song reuse. And at that point, you know, the power dynamic is is really weird because I've already made this song. I'm about to put it out into the world. And then I'm like, hey, can I please release this? And so, you know, that that label at that point uh, pretty much gets to decide whatever split they want. I mean, a lot of times it's very disproportionate to the sample that was used. And so that's one of the problems that we're excited to tackle with kits is, you know, kind of flipping that where instead of an artist making a song and then asking for permission to use the sample, it's an artist releasing the license for that song to be sampled with an equitable split, equitable upfront fee, um, such that you know when an artist does want to sample a song, they know exactly um, what kind of terms and agreement they're entering into um, with that original work, the original artist, um, so that all parties involved can feel pretty good about the the outcome, and uh, everyone finds value in that. Yeah, I want to I want to step into tokenized licensing and, and what that exactly looks like because I have questions in terms of of usage and how I define yeah. when it can be used, when it can't be used. Um, obviously, like if you're an artist, you probably want some sort of creative control into where your art is going to ultimately be derived and used. But just another example to, to kind of like nail this point here, like at home, I worked at Amazon Music uh, when we were launching Amazon licensing team. And I spent weeks scouring like the first the billboard charts to just make sure like we had everything in the system. And then I would go into the Library of Congress website and like one by one, see if we had all of the licensing information to pay people. Because ultimately like, before the Music right. Modernization Act, which allowed you to have a blanket license on the publishing side, uh, and so you didn't have to worry about statutory damages, you were getting fined for every single use of a, of a song that you didn't have a direct license for. Blanket coverage. So you can, right there, right? Like you can be a good actor in the space trying to do right, 
And if you accidentally like put up a song, what a lot of people don't realize is like a lot of the licensing information and like sampling stuff is negotiated after the song has already come out. So you can imagine like putting, yep. if you're in rap or whatever, you go distribute the everything licensed at the jump, you don't have all the licenses uh, secured. And now you put everyone else at risk. Maybe it never gets updated. Um, and if someone wants to go and, and use that sample, you know, in the future, they want to use that song to sample in the future, they have no one to reach out to. And so you actually, even if you're a good actor, like you could also lose money simply because like people don't know how to reach out to you. Um, so with that, I'd love to have you kind of break down tokenized licensing as it stands today, like how it will look in kits. If I'm an artist, how, how can I like have any control over how my work is used when it's used? If you could just give us a breakdown. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think there's, there's so much there for us to kind of uh, unpack, but I'd love to kind of start with the most kind of the core of why these licenses on chain are, are important and helpful. And actually, you know, contrary to a lot of the way things are within web three, it's actually a lot simpler um, for license on chain than the way things work in the existing system. Um, I think one of the points you made there really resonates with me is that people who sample music and, and use these licenses, they want to be compliant. They're, they're not out here trying to, you know, like sneaky use someone sample without telling them and not giving splits. Like, yeah, they're, they're bad actors in cases where that happens. But nine times out of 10, when someone gets a DMCA or a takedown, they would like to give the proper credits. Um, but that system for tracking who, where, where to get the license and then if you're the artist who owns it is just really, really opaque. You know, like there are ways in which I could license music today, um, but it's going to require like legal agreements, PDFs, all of that. Um, so this is to say that you need a source of truth for these music licenses. You know, you described the example of the Library of Congress, tracking these things down manually. Um, if it's as easy to issue a license as it is to purchase an NFT today, that's great. That's solving the problem of access for, um, you know, musicians. If I want to sample something, I should be able to go to a website. I should be able to purchase a license, compensate that artist fairly and receive that license um, immediately instead of having to do so post-production. And then two, if I'm an artist, and, you know, I want to make sure that I have control over where my music is used. I should be able to, if I choose to, um, you know, make my available for reuse. And then when it is made available and someone purchases that license, I should be able to, uh, you know, track down and view very transparently where who owns that license and what media is created with it. Um, so one example within licensing that I think is really powerful is we, I've talked a lot with this producer, um, Zach, uh, artist name is prod by Z beats. He's a beat licensor. This guy makes a career off of, um, you know, making hip hop beats, licensing those to artists and then, uh, artists, you know, putting their vocals over those and releasing those songs. Um, and over time as his career has grown, his, kind of time spent has shifted a lot away from um, the music side of things to the business side of things for him. And in particular, um, there's so many people who use his beats and then don't either give him the proper credit or don't give him the proper splits on, uh, you know, the songs that they make with those beats. And he spends a lot of his time tracking those people down asking them for receipts on BeatStars of the license that they purchased, and then um, having to tell them to issue the proper splits and royalties on those songs. Um, and a lot of this would be solved if this information was, was on chain. One, he wouldn't have to email them back and forth to check if they had the license in the first place. He could just, you know, tap into a contract, see the holders, um, and wouldn't even have to worry about it. And then two, when it comes to splits, um, a lot of times you have stipulations within the way things are licensed today, where if something reaches a million streams, um, then the splits kick in. And it's a really difficult system to keep track of if you're a creator, because you have to be 
updating your splits on a distribution platform, all this different stuff where, you know, if you have this license that lives on chain, you could, uh, you know, tap into the composability of Web3 and recognize that this license exists. When a song reaches a million streams, this split kicks in. Um, so there's a lot of ways in which, you know, not only does it give access, but it makes this process so much more automated and easier over time. And so, you know, our step one is issuing these tokenized licenses on chain so that we can give creators the opportunity to sample music without being kind of, you know, scared of the splits and post. And then two, over time, build tooling around these licenses, around the distribution of works um, to automate a lot of this back and forth that takes place between, you know, artists and people who sample their work. It should be something that is celebrated instead of kind of feared and like, you know, artists shouldn't have to be like sneaking uh, by other artists. It should be like a, like a, almost like a, way of spreading work and, and flattering the original artists if you sample them. And I think today there's um, so many negative connotations around it. We're trying to change that. Yeah, I, let's dive into that further because I'm curious if, if it's a problem with the incentive structure or if it's more behavioral as to why sampling today is kind of like looked down upon. It's like, you have a lot of artists who they want rightfully like credit or, you know, they want to make sure that they're fairly compensated. And so the, the standard route really, like when you see UGC or anything like that is takedowns. Like we talked about it earlier, right? It's like you release music yeah. that you don't have the rights to, and it's taken down. And like, you see it all the time you're on YouTube and the media is no longer available or Twitter or what have you, you know, do you think that is, indicative of the way the current system is set up in that if we had more fair equitable uh ways to credit and 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 give people you know royalties that that would go away or it's more of like the medium and people are like protective of their art it's a good question um we've really early on with Arpeggi, we try to talk to as many artists as possible and kind of ask them that, that central question that I think is at the core of what you're saying, which is, um, are you comfortable kind of sharing your work, putting it out there for other people to use? Um, and what we heard most of the time, and we were talking to mostly independent musicians who are smaller in the Web3 space, was 100%, I, I want people remixing, sampling my work. Um, and so, you know, with that, I think those artists aren't, you know, looking forward or, or trying to take down all these derivative works. When you get to bigger and bigger artists, you know, there's, there's more opinions on, do I want to let people sample this, remix this song? And in that case, the only kind of course of action you might have is DMCAs and takedowns. But I think it, it is really a lack of uh, infrastructure and vehicles in which an artist can either ask permission to sample another person's work um, or release their music for sampling. Uh, if that answers the question. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, think I think, I no, I think what it ultimately comes down to is one comfort level, right? Like not everyone is going to want yeah. their work sampled. They, they had like a vision in their head of what they want their music to be. And, and ultimately that should be it. And some people are, are always going to want to actively be asked if, can be can be used but i do think that there's like another camp which is i am broadly open to being sampled as well like as long as i am credited and and paid you know my split and all that but with a framework that like my music being used outside of uh what i would think it's intended for so like a perfect example is you know, music, like you, you can think back to like political campaigns, right? When you've got like artists basically like going after like Trump or Biden. Hey, like I didn't give you permission to use my music like in your, like I don't want this associated right. with politics, whatever the case may be. And I think you have an interesting like tokenized licensing can solve for that as well, right? Like it can effectively say like these are the parameters by which sample and these are the ones in which you couldn't. Can can we get to that point? I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah no that that's that's a really interesting uh, 
kind of challenge within licensing is like, okay, do I really want to let anyone use this for any use case like possible at all? Or do I want to have some control? And I think where we started is uh, even before that, like there are so many questions and open questions within the Web3 space about what it meant to own something that has a license attached to it and what it could be used for. And over time, um, A16 actually developed these open source licenses called the Don't Be Evil licenses. And what they did is they laid kind of the, the most basic, like what most creators would be comfortable with, which is you can use my work, but don't make anything like hateful or like problematic with it. That's like super obvious. Um, and so those are kind of the the basic licenses that we've adapted into kits um, are these don't be evil licenses. So, you know, anything that's like outrageously out of line or, or horrible, um, you know, is, is not within the bounds of the license. But then in, in music, it's a, it's a little bit different. I think, um, you know, you might not want a bunch of really bad remixes coming out that are using your work. You know, if you're one of these artists that wants to maintain a certain degree of uh, reputation or quality, um, maybe you want to sign off on all of those derivative works before they go out into the wild and, you know, compliantly use your, your song or your sample. And in that case, we, we haven't built that into our licenses at the moment. But I do think the permissionless technology of Web3, where you can have these kind of negotiations that take place via smart contract, via protocol, uh, where two parties can enter an agreement that is trustless and requires sign off from both authenticated um, you know, artists could be really powerful, uh, especially when you get to bigger and bigger artists and you know, potentially labels issuing entire catalogs for derivative works. Um, you can imagine anyone coming to a website, picking a song out, sampling it with a kind of split agreement in place. And then the original artist has to sign a transaction to verify that remix and actually uh, issue the license to be published. So I think we're starting with these commercial use, royalty-free, don't be evil licenses for season one of Kits, which is really like the simplest uh, iteration of on-chain licenses. But then you can kind of evolve the technology to facilitate all these different use cases in between, you know, it's a broad spectrum of, of comfort of artists, you know, issuing their work. Um, and then also a broad spectrum of like how much a sample is used. Um, so there's, there's so many different variations of these licenses. You can get into, you know, ones that entitle the artist to splits ones in which the artist has to give um, permission and, and sign off into, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I hope that over time, kids can kind of solve for all of these, uh, you know, different comfort levels on, on the spectrum of, uh, you know, artists releasing their music. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like to me, an ideal state is a transparent content ID on steroids, <laughs> like, as you were describing it, right? Because for those that don't know, no. like content ID is what like YouTube really pioneered and in other other services use it now as well basically uses like identifiers within a track to then be able to go identify that track on all ugc content and you can create rules around okay we're going to approve everything we're going to deny everything but what you end up with is like okay there are millions of use cases and if i if i deny everything by default and i have to go into manually approval well, like that doesn't save yeah. anyone time but like you don't want to open it to everything becomes like really challenging and so you know being able to verifiably prove what things are used for on chain and also like all of the underlying data around that usage happening on chain i think would be really powerful so it's a lot of a lot of white space to work with for sure um i want to get into season one of kit so you have an open edition going right now. I want to talk about that. And then, yeah, what is your goal around yeah. season one? How long does it run for? Who's participating? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, season one of Kits is our you know first season where we're issuing these tokenized licenses um, for six different artists who have been in the Web3 space for a while, um, mostly on the production side. And it's focused entirely around um, sample packs. So we've been talking a lot around uh, song sampling and remixing and all of that, which is certainly going to be um, at the forefront of kits in the future. Uh, but one of the 
most popular ways in which creative work and music is licensed is, is via sample packs. So uh, samples are the kind of foundational sounds that make up songs in electronic production. Um, so uh, yeah, I think we've been using the term samples very broadly, but it's really the sound. So a kick drum in a song or the pluck of guitar is considered a sample. And these are used in uh, digital audio workstations strung together to make entire melodies, to layer those into songs, um, et cetera. And so, you know, a very familiar kind of uh, tool that producers use are, are sample packs, which are collections of sounds. Um, and artists will put together uh, a sample pack, release it on a platform like Splice um, or, or otherwise their own platform. And other producers will purchase a license to use that, download the samples and, and make two works with it. So with season one of Kits, we've lined up six different producers in Web3. Um, to name them, it's TK, Abjo, Dot, Ramzoid, Misfit, and Edwin. Um, all of which have, you know, released on sound, have a pretty strong collector base. And each one of them has put together a sample pack to be tokenized and licensed on the Kits platform. And so um, ahead of all of that, with our initial drop, we wanted to do a preview pack that lets people kind of get a taste of what this experience is of purchasing one of these tokenized licenses, um, downloading the samples on kits, using those samples, joining in this uh, community of producers that we're cultivating um, with the licenses, with the tokens. And um, that's ongoing right now, like you mentioned. So we did an open edition 48 hour mint um, yesterday for the kits season one preview pack. It features two samples from each of the six of our season one artists. Um, there's six different types of the pack. So there's one for each one of these artists. You could collect the dot edition, the TK, Abjo, et cetera. And um, depending on which edition you get, you get one bonus sample that corresponds to that artist. Um, so encourage anyone listening, if you're curious about what this really means with all these uh, tokenized sample licenses and you know want to collect the first kind of uh, tokenized sample pack on chain, Go to Kits.io, um, grab the preview pack, support these artists. 100% um, of all revenue generated by the preview pack, which is minting at 0.01 ETH, um, is going to our season six artists. And obviously stay tuned uh, for the rest of the season where we'll be releasing each one of these artists specific packs that includes way more samples in the preview pack. Um, and yeah, just super excited for season one. Yeah, I, I am. I am as well. And you got some legends in there. I mean, I, I, TK and Edwin are both like match my my sad boy vibes. So I listen to them a, a lot. Uh, I'll have to check out their packs. But what uh, kind of walk walk me through the I bought one of these open edition packs. Like how how do I then go use like take take it down to like the Sesame Street simple like I've never produced before in my life. Yeah. I have this pack now, like, what do I do with it? What does it plug into? Speak to like the composability of the pack. Can I use it with like web two software? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just take the preview pack as an example. Um, you're gonna go to, you know, kits. It's a very familiar purchase experience. Um, you know, if you're in web three, have a MetaMask, it's, it's nothing out of, out of the ordinary there. Um, you'll, you know, mint your token, it'll be in your wallet, you'll get the confirm. Um, and then, you know, after your token, what do you do? It'll take you to the, the samples tab of the page where, you know, if you don't own the token, you can't listen to any of these samples, you can't view them. Um, as soon as that token hits your wallet, you'll be able to not only preview all the samples, but, you know, download a zip of every single sound in that pack. So what what you're getting there are, are wave files for every single sample in the pack. Um, yeah, they might be one shots, they might be loops. Um, and then from there, you will take those into your digital audio workstation of choice, whether that's you know Ableton, you could use GarageBand if you have a Mac, um, whatever it is. You could use Arpeggi Studio as well, which is our in-browser DAW, um, super easy to use and just jump in there immediately. And then, yeah, you'll make a song, like whatever kind of song you want using that pack. Once you've purchased it, you have that license. Um, and so long as that license lives in your wallet, you have full rights to make whatever music you'd like with the, with the samples and that. And then 
after you've made your song, um, you can publish it compliantly. Uh, you could sell that sample pack token if you wanted to and you know give more creator royalties back to the artist. Um, you could hold on to it. Uh, whatever you want to do, it's your license, you own it. That's kind of the difference between uh, what we're doing here and some of the Web2 solutions. And yeah, there's also kind of the community aspect as well. Once you've purchased that token, um, we have a pretty lively Discord and um, cooking up some some Telegram chats for our producer, most active like kids producers who are using these samples in the pack. Um, also going to run some activations, so don't want to give away too much. But uh, we have TK's pack coming up, which is the Eternal Garden pack. That's his project that he released um, a little bit ago, and cooking up some exciting stuff. Uh, you know, placement opportunities competitions stuff like that that tie into the uh token as well so you alluded to something that is pretty interesting to me and i i think i talked to gino about this a while ago because he has a pack on splice i think one of the issues that he had was like he creates this pack a bunch of people buy it he has no idea who they are he has no way of reaching them he like it, it basically is they they can get released in perpetuity and so there is no sense of like scarcity, finite amount. He has no control over that. How, how does that differ? I mean, you kind of spoke to it, but like compare the web two to the web three experience with actual like pack creation and, and what it looks like from like an artist selling the pack to the one buying it and the relationships that they can have. Yeah, absolutely. So in web two, there's essentially like the one model, which is I'll put together a pack um, I'll put it on a platform or I'll put it on my own website and issue licenses like basically in perpetuity for that pack. You know, Splice is pretty much the leading um, sound sample platform that exists today. If I put a pack out on Splice, um, basically anyone can come and pick whatever samples they want from that pack um, so long as Splice exists. I don't really have any insight into who is using these samples, um, how many people are using them, what is created with them. And I certainly don't have any ability to kind of limit or, you know, add any scarcity to the pack. Um, so that's kind of the prevailing model, which like is a really powerful and good model. It's just one of many, many different ways in which this could work. Um, and we want to give artists a lot more optionality. Um, so on kits, what we're doing in season one is we, we want to try a few different models actually. So I don't think we know enough about how artists want to use these things, who, who want to collect them, who wants to collect them to be able to say, um, this is the exact model it should be. Um, but one of the things that we are really excited about that's very unique to uh, kits and web three is uh, experimenting with the idea of scarcity within licensing. So like I said, on these Web2 platforms, um, once these things are up there, anyone can mint them forever. Or sorry, not mint them. Anyone can can purchase those licenses forever. But in Web3, you have the ability to actually, uh, you know, tie in scarcity to these licenses. And, you know, that might mean that there's only other 10 licenses to remix one of TK songs on Eternal Garden. And, you know, as Eternal Garden blows up over, over time, those licenses could become really valuable. So now you tie in the idea of speculation into to licenses as well, which could be uh, very interesting and exciting for, for artists and producers. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think one aspect is, is scarcity. And, and another aspect that we're really excited about is artists actually being able to track and see not only who is using uh and purchasing their samples but also what is being creative with that you know and potentially um these packs and tokens serving as vehicles for artists to build that relationship with other artists you know whether it's giving feedback in a production session when a pack is purchased or you know going so far as a placement with that artist on uh you know a dsp release or sound or whatever it is um, it's a whole kind of design space for artists to explore with the people purchasing their their packs and their tokens. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, it's it goes from I think a good way for people to think about this is single player to multiplayer, right? Like buying samples today in Web two is single player. You go onto a marketplace, you buy something, you have it, you can do whatever you want with it. Now it's like you actually have a direct relationship with 
the person that created the pack. And so you, it, it furthers, it perpetuates the ability to like collaborate and it shows like an interest and an ability, like a very transparent bridge for you to actually build with the person that, that created it. I'm curious if you're thinking about like private listings at all. So what I'm thinking is, okay, maybe I'm Daniel Allen, for example, and I want Oshi to like put, like I want one remix and I, I only want to sell it to him. Are you thinking about doing like individual like tokens at one art to another? Am I, am I giving up alpha? Like, is that, is that already in the works? <laughs> it's super interesting. Um, because, you know, like we said earlier, kind of the way in which collaboration takes place most of the time within, you know, circles like Web3 Music is just, you know, kind of casual interfacing, shooting files back and forth. But, um, you know, tokenizing this stuff definitely legitimizes that license a lot more. I think maybe not as much like one, t I, I don't know, I think one of one licenses actually could be very interesting. It's something that like we would love to just see what it looks like, you know, if there's only one license ever to remix a song, um, that could be just a really powerful kind of uh, license to exist, you know, for someone to speculate on, uh, for someone to own and remix. Um, but more so, I think it's kind of the, the use cases we were describing earlier, where, you know, maybe an artist wants to issue 10 licenses, but they want full permission over uses them. Uh, and so they would kind of have that sign off off of, uh, sign up of who actually gets to use it. So maybe maybe that use case is what we're thinking of. But hey, Austin, you might be onto some some crazy uh, idea alpha right there that we need to tap into. <laughs> I think it's really fascinating, this idea that like, well, why don't you just put everything up, but it's token gated. And so someone can effectively yeah. raise interest instead of like, go like if we take a step back and go back to how this would work today, Someone would be like, oh, I want to sample that. I'm going to re go reach out to the publisher or whatever, and then probably get the producer, license it, you know, all these like middlemen. If it is available on chain and I'm basically able to say, yeah. like, I'm interested in this, and then I get signed off and it's effectively like a private listing, and then I can go and, you know, buy that license. I think that could be pretty interesting because you visibly put the data up there and then someone can, can action it. That's that's a hundred percent kind of the vision for what we want kids to be a year from now, you know, ten years from now, is I can go there, I can find any song, and I can, you know, at least have a means of seeing whether that song is available to sample and maybe that song is CC0 and I can just sample it immediately, download right. all the files, download all the stems. Maybe I need to get sign up from the artist, do a split. Maybe I need to purchase an upfront license. Maybe that song isn't available to sample and no one can sample it. At least I know that upfront. Um, but this is all to say, I think with kits, we're building this library of not only sound packs like we're doing in season one, but hopefully, you know, all music media songs in which yeah. artists have full control over their ability to license that music for other people to use. And, you know, like you said, um, there's varying degrees of comfort in which artists want to license their work. There's no one size fits all solution here for, for every artist or every song. And so we want to build a place that, you know, fits the needs of any artist and then really solves this issue for music makers of the uncertainty of, of sampling. You know, I don't know uh, what kind of permissions an artist is going to want for for the work that i'm i'm uh creating from their original song and so yeah you're totally right i mean in kits we want it to be that place where you go to to see if a song is sampleable and you know enter into that agreement with an artist and it's a win-win for everyone hopefully yeah i mean it, it just you know i originally got into uh the intersection of music and crypto with like it was 2017 it was the early days of like ujo music wow. and dot blockchain bc like i wrote a yeah. white paper on the licensing implications of music and so i can see this going like why i got excited about that in the past is you know, i gave the example of going through the library of congress and like not having all the information you know all of these these data sets are siloed they all live in like centralized exchanges different labels and publishers and producers are like in their hard drive 
it's it's a mess and so this idea of like being able to have a distributed uh ledger like a distributed exchange of like not only all the different samples but like entire like you said entire pieces of media that not only artists could tap into but you know maybe it's someone who wants to do a synchronization license for a tv show like they can quickly like get a tokenized license and like the exact details are within a smart contract it's just very uh it can gr it can grow out a lot which is a pretty pretty exciting i don't know if you if you see it that way at all or yeah. putting the cart in front of the horse oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no i mean i think you described it well where it's like there's been a lot of really smart people in blockchain and music who um, recognize the potential for blockchain to disrupt the music industry and provide way better rails, way better infrastructure um, that works better for musicians, works better for fans, et cetera. Um, the difficulty comes within you know, the existing music industry. There's yep. so much infrastructure that already exists and you can't just you know, build something new and expect everyone to switch over immediately. And you know, even though it's so much better and might work a lot, you know, better for artists and fans um there's an issue of adoption right and so i think our approach is we want to step start one step at a time and um for us that means putting all the licenses to samples on chain and then you know once that happens we can build tools around that and then you know once we build tools around that we can link those tools for publishing distribution into dsp platforms and so it's going to be a very iterative uh transition but Fortunately, there's a lot of artists who really want to experiment. There's a lot of really smart people um, building tools that are going to plug into each other. You know, we're really excited about collaborating with other platforms in the Web3 space and plugging a lot of our on-chain licenses into some of those tools. You know, maybe like a verified check mark on some of your music NFTs um, that you're using, you know, our Pedgy compliant licenses, uh, whatever it is. But this is all to say that you know, it's, it's going to be a huge effort by everyone building in the space to kind of get adoption here. And it, it comes from, you know, one component at a, at a time and then linking them all together in the end. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty massive undertaking, but I appreciate the like stepstone nature. I think of, while it was very ambitious in 2017 of these uh, like pioneer companies that, that try to do it, a lot of them failed. I mean, they all failed because of a top-down approach, right? It's exactly what you just said around adoption. Like when the existing model works for the major players, they're not incentivized to switch over. And so I think it's very intelligent and why we've seen really Web3 music take hold in the independent community is because they have everything to gain and nothing to lose. And so that's why everything across the spectrum has been really centered on, on independent music and finally giving them that creative control. Um, um, so, so before we end, I ask everyone what their one big idea is that they want to leave uh, for the audience. So that could be like a saying, something from the pod, something you live by, whatever, whatever the case may be. It doesn't have to be related to this conversation. What is your one big idea that you want to leave everyone with today? Wow, it's a tough one. Um, know. You know, on the topic <laughs> of music and I think uh, just kind of imagining a world in which every single sound, song, whatever it is, uh, piece of media is available for use and what kind of creative impetus that could um, create within the world of music. You know, I'm, I'm so curious and excited for the way in which Web3 technology might not only allow musicians to monetize their music more efficiently, but also create the best music that they can um, via, you know, these, these different vehicles. So um, yeah, well, we will, we will see in the coming, uh, coming months, years, what that looks like or sounds like rather. Um, but it's very exciting to me. Oh, I lost you there for a second. <laughs> I, lo I lost you halfway through your big idea. Oh my gosh. That's, a, that's the worst time to lose me. I'll, I'll summarize it, but basically, uh, you know, the idea that Web3 could provide this rails for musicians to hear any sound, any song um, out there and um, be able to create the best work they can with that. Um, so, you know, that's to say Web3 not only providing 
uh, better rails for musicians to monetize their music, but also unlocking uh, full creativity uh, from that music and, you know, what that looks like or uh, what that sounds like uh, as a listener and, you know, as an artist. Yeah, I think that is a pretty big idea. If, if all the world's music is licensable, like where where do we end up from there uh, in terms of creativity? So Evan, can't thank you enough for your time. This hour flew by, really, really appreciate it. Where can people find more about you? And, and yeah, any last things you want to plug before we wrap it up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Twitter is probably the best best place for all things Arpeggi, all things kits. Um, so definitely head over to our Twitter, uh, Twitter slash kits.io underscore is the kits website, or you can just go to kits.io, uh, the, the site to mint our open edition preview pack that's going on right now, um, or head over to slash Arpeggi Labs on Twitter. Um, to find all of the most up-to-date news. Perfect. Stay tuned for season right. one. Stay tuned, we will. All right, Evan, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next week.